Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Romans chapter 2, we have been trucking through the book of Romans and we're just studying the great salvation the Lord has given us. And, and truly in the introduction in Romans 1, he lays out what, how, the wonders of the salvation that God has given us. And truly, God's grace is amazing. It is beyond description, uh, you know, and I think that maybe that's why John Newton, as he wrote those words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. He was saying there, there's no greater word for grace, as the songwriter said, than amazing. And you know, what an, an incredible thing to be able to think about and consider the great salvation that God has given to us. Something that's uh, beyond our, what we deserve and yet, Lord, the Lord has offered it freely. And after he begins that introduction, and, and in the introduction we see that wonderful verse in verse 16 where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And truly, Paul had no reason to be ashamed, ashamed of uh, the gospel, and neither do we today. But then he begins a discourse in verse number 17 and 18. After that, in the following Romans chapter 1, and it's as if we're entering now into a courtroom. And as we come into this courtroom, judgment is being passed. It's being passed first upon the heathen, and then in Romans chapter 2 where we see today, there's a hypocrite that will stand before this great judge, and the judge will give the judgment as they have been willing to give themselves. And later, he, would, he will uh, look at the Hebrew. But today we're going to see this life of, uh, that is without excuse. And they're without excuse because they themselves know the truth, but they don't fulfill it. You ever met someone that was quick to pass judgment? You met someone that maybe uh, they, they are very quick and, and, and uh, harsh and maybe even judgmental. Years ago, there was a, a pastor that had compiled letters from children that he had received over the years. And you know, sometimes we think of mean old crotchety men that can be judgmental. But listen to these children as they wrote these letters. Listen to what they said. They said, Dear Pastor, are there any devils on earth? They said, I think there may be one in my class. Arnold, who was age eight, said, I know God loves everybody, but he never met my sister. <laughs> Stephen, who was also age eight, said, I would like to go to heaven someday because I know my brother won't be there. <laughs> that's pretty bad. You know, that's a bad family right there. <laughs> Alexander, who was 10, said, Dear Lord, or dear Pastor, please say a prayer for our Little League team. We need God's help or a new pitcher, one or the other. Finally, Ralph, who was 11, said, I liked your sermon on Sunday. And I always appreciate when people say, thank you, Pastor, for the message. And, you know, encourage, you know, because you, you pour hours and hours into these things. And, and, uh, and countless tears oftentimes are shed. But this particular young man said, listen, Pastor, I liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. <laughs> I couldn't help when I read that thing like Roger Dangerfield. Everybody's a critic, you know. 
But listen, we're getting back into this place in Romans, and we find that, that in God's courtroom, and we see that there, there's evidence being presented, and each type of person's sins will be passed for judgment. There is that heathen, that hypocrite, even the Hebrew, that will all stand before this judgment. And in eternity, I remind you that there's two types of judgments. The first is the judgment seat of Christ, where Christians will come and stand before the Lord, and there will be a place of reward and honor for Christians as He rewards them according to their faithfulness. But the second one is a place that is pictured here in Romans where it is the great white throne of judgment. And this is a place of punishment for those who've rejected Jesus Christ. It will be a time of sorrow. It will be a time that uh, many that have rejected the Lord will stand there in agony as they hear the harsh judgment, uh, really the righteous judgment, not harsh judgment, the righteous judgment of a holy God. Because I remind you what Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, we like to think of ourselves as something more than what we are, but it is, as Romans 1, 2, and 3 lay out for us, really we're all under the same place of condemnation. And without Jesus Christ, there is truly no hope. And somewhere, we fall into one of these categories. Either we've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, or, or maybe uh, you have lived a doubled standard, and you know right, but you don't, you don't really live it. Or, or maybe you have a religious piosity, but it's never really equated to much. But the blood of Jesus can change that. Let me just say, though we are born in sin and though we are guilty of eternal damnation, God through His love offers us forgiveness of our sins. You see, the good news is, is that the Bible doesn't stop at Romans 3.23. Isn't that good? And I think about this, for the wages of sin is death, and if He stopped there, it would be a terrible place. But what he says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as God lays out this judgment, what he's doing is he's warning us and he's saying, listen folks, you've got to realize that through love I have offered you a way to escape this great judgment. He says, because there will be a day of wrath. And so when Christ was here... I remind you of a parable he told about a certain rich man and Lazarus. One lived for the moment, the other lived for eternity. One was exceeding rich, the other died in his poverty as he ate the scraps from the rich man's table. And and Jesus Christ laid out for us in Luke chapter 16 in verse number 22 and 23. And it says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off. Lazarus in his bosom. You see, both of these died, and one received according to their faith, and the other according to their works. And Christ warns in this passage that there is a literal place of suffering, a place of judgment for those that reject Christ. And so out of a distinct love, not out of a hate, not out of a desire to condemn, but out of a distinct love for all of us, God reveals this to us in His Word. And He warns of this coming judgment and urges us today, above every other day, to heed the Scriptures, to hear what God has to say, to listen to those who share the truth, and above everything else, respond by faith to Christ. And so Romans 1-3 through deals with those that have been condemned. And God wants us to see uh, what Christ, what uh, eternity without Christ is really like. 
And so last week, just by way of reminder, we saw the harsh realities of those that rejected Jesus Christ. And oftentimes when we reject Jesus, then we replace uh, that truth with some other fabricated truth. And, and as a result, then uh, we try to put that square peg in the round hole. You remember, many of you were uh, commented that you were surprised I didn't cut myself or bang my hand. I want to thank you for your confidence uh, in my chisel abilities. But listen, as we see here in Romans 2 then, he begins to see a picture that is more like American Christians today and America today than I think any of the other three. And as we see this, I want to just encourage you, may God allow our hearts to be tender to what God wants. Because James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth not it not, to him it is sin. So let us jump right into the text today. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. And I know you've been sitting for a moment, so if you're able, would you please stand together and honor, uh, honor the Lord as we just uh, can stretch those legs and have a chance to read the Word of God together. It says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of, uh, of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, uh, life, eternal life, but unto them that are conscientious and do not obey the truth, but obey right unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile, but to glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For uh, not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Let's stop and pray. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of the Word today. And Lord, I recognize that uh, this can be a difficult passage. So, Lord, help us to uh, patiently uh, allow Your Spirit to minister in, in our life. Lord, that we would not harden our heart, or, but instead we would come humbly before You today and let Your Word speak truth to us. We need You in every way and every facet of our life and being and God, we just ask you now that you would just lead and guide in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated this morning? 
One of the most fundamental truths in the Bible is that God has called us to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers, right? James chapter 1 and verse 22, he reminds us very plainly, but be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. And who do we deceive if we're, if we're a do, not a doer? Yourself. And so he says this, for, and so we're reminded here, for anyone who studied the Word of God, it's easy to allow, sometimes to allow those truths to sit coldly on our chest instead of transforming our life. It's easy to, to hear these words, but not really apply them and not let them change our life. And if we've been in church a long time, all of our life, then it's easy to uh, maybe uh, have, have made some, uh, some sort of a, uh, a public statement, but never made it personal where it changed our life. The Bible college student, the Sunday school teacher, teacher, the deacon, the pastor, all must guard against this danger. And this was the same challenge that the Apostle Paul faced as he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He said, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that it by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, Listen, one of the most important things I do is to guard my own life and to be willing to set up for myself then this, this, uh, this uh, system where I don't don't just become cold and callous toward the things of Scripture, but I'll let it continually change my life. Because he would later write, I press toward the mark. I've not arrived. I'm not God's gift to mankind. That was Jesus Christ. And so, but he did call us to be conformed to his image, and so it's a process in this life. Isn't it good to know that, that God, uh, when, when I uh, maybe make uh, when I sin or I fall back into sin, that God offers forgiveness and he offers restoration and allows us to be able to continue by his grace. Well, Paul and all spiritually minded Christians today recognize the simple truth of this statement but by the grace of God, there go I. Think about that for a second. But by the grace of God, there go I. You know what that means? Anybody is susceptible without Christ. And so that means we must guard constantly about, against the spirit of hypocrisy. Jesus himself confronted this spirit, this spirit in the Pharisees, and, and as a result, we would see oftentimes that the Pharisees did not desire to be hypocrites. They didn't sign up to be a hypocrite. But that's when we, when we say, well, they're just being pharisaical. We're pointing to their lives because they said one thing, but they lived another. They were more concerned about washing their hands than they were about washing their heart. And so Christ even was warning against this kind of spirit. And he says, listen, they're like a whited sepulcher. They look good on the outside, but the inside is really just uh, dirty and nasty. And so we must also be on guard here. I think and even in our era that we recognize, and especially as Americans, one of the things I noticed as I visited the Philippines this year was that everybody in the Philippines wants to have a blue passport. They want to be an American. They want to be able to, to be here. And it's easy for them to set us up on a pedestal. And I said, listen, I'm just a man who puts my, uh, my pants on the same way you do, one leg at a time. I'm no different. I just The Lord allowed me to be raised in the greatest state, in the greatest country in all the world. Sorry. Couldn't help that just for fun. But, you know, I, no one can control those things. But what we can realize is that God can take even the worst of situations and make good out of it. And when we just rest in Him, when we trust in Him, say, like, God, Lord, listen, I'm nothing without you. 
And I think uh, as uh, Sunday School enjoyed uh, just the testimony this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, oftentimes we'll go back there. And I think that's one of the things I love so much about the Apostle Paul is that before Christ, he was a very proud and arrogant and very lawful man. And he was trusting in the law to get himself to heaven. But after Christ, grace changed his heart. You see, it's grace that changes us. It's not the law that changes us. It's grace that brings humility. The law brings arrogance and pride. And it is so essential that we say, Lord, I, I want to know your grace. I want to know what it is to be able to walk in, uh, in the Spirit of Christ. And so there's two areas of this passage that help us to see the reality of those that are without excuse. And the first is this idea of a critical spirit. Look at verse number 1. As, as he begins to lay down the condemnation of those with a hypocritical spirit, he says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man. In other words, he says, listen, you are without excuse because you know the truth, but you don't do the truth. You know the truth, but you don't obey the truth. You know the truth, but you're not applied it. So right out, of the, right out of the box, we see the Lord condemns those with a critical spirit and warns us against this kind of spirit in our life. And so there's two things that we see here. First off, we see that when we have this spirit, we have it towards others, all right? And so it affects our life. Verse, verse 1, let's go on and re continue reading. He says, Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So notice immediately that the Lord deals with those that are quick in judgment of others. And, and yet the Bible is clear about this type of spirit, that, uh, the type of spirit that should dominate the life of a believer. John chapter 13. You can go there with me. I've got it on the screen, but I want to encourage you at least to jot these down in your notes today and take a moment to, to, to remind yourself of these truths. Because as Jesus was here, He said this, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have loved one for another. You know, it's a lot easier sometimes to be critical than it is to be loving. Think about this. Love is, is really easy to give to somebody uh, when things are good. Uh, if you're married, you can understand this a little bit. When things are good between you and your spouse, you know, man, it's easy to love them. It's easy to demonstrate love. It's easy to be loving. But when things are difficult and when things are hard, then that's when it's a little more, more uh, difficult to be humble and love your spouse. Can I get an amen? Some of you are too afraid to say amen. <laughs> I have to ask your wife, can I say amen? Just kidding. Listen, love is one of those things that we must be willing to give even when it's hard. When there's not peace, when there's not unity, when there's not agreement, when we can demonstrate a level of love even in the midst of disagreement, that's the spirit that Christ was talking about. And he says, and when that's the case, then I'm lifted up. One of the unique things Pastor was talking about, the trip with the Baptist builders there in, in Spanish Fort, Alabama, uh, and they do this every year. You want to do it? Talk to Brother Doug. He can hook you up. Uh, but uh, one of the unique things is I've been on job sites multiple times with different contractors, and there's like this policy, thou shalt not touch my tools. <laughs> but there it was, it was a different spirit. It's like, hey, I need a nail gun. Well, just take that one. I'm like, he just laid it down. He says, that's all right. We'll just use it for a minute. And we'll give it back. And they're, they're okay with that. They're like, oh, you need it? No problem. We'll, we'll wait. We could use a break. And it was just, and I, and I thought about this later, and I thought, you know what? That's the spirit of Christ. 
Because when you're laboring together, you're working together, and, you're, and you've all got one mind and one heart, and you're building something together, what you realize is that, that love it is needed to be able to permeate that place so that it's not disunity and hurt. And listen, as we enter into a new building program in about a year or so, let me just encourage you, we're going to need the Lord to help us to develop a spirit of love and unity and grace in the midst of it all. 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse number 8, Peter writes and says, Above all things, have fervent charity. Now that's that word agape in the Greek, uh, which is an unconditional love. And he says, have fervent charity among yourselves. And he says this, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Here's one thing I've learned. There is no such thing as a perfect church. Because I'm, and if I'm in it, it's definitely not perfect. And if you're in it, it's not perfect either. Listen, the reality is we are sinners trying to just do the will of God and we learn, learn, uh, serve here together and we're trying to support missionaries together and we're trying to plant churches together and we're trying to do the will of God and the work of God. But listen, that's where the love of the Lord must permeate the walls of this place. You see, this transformative love is able to see the disagreements, see the challenges, and choose to be like Christ through it all. We're not excusing sin. We're not permitting things like that. God doesn't excuse our sin. Rather, it is His desire to come along beside and help one another live in victory. Because as Galatians 2 says, he says bear, 6 2, he says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's what the reality of the Christian family is really about. The Christian church is about, listen, we're none of us are perfect, and we don't have to put on airs on a Sunday morning and then go home and be something different on a Sunday afternoon. But instead, it's about, listen, I want to come to church. I want to be encouraged. I want to be encouragement. I want to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus, when he was here, he questioned the spiritual condition of those with a judgmental attitude and a hypocrite. And he says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, and he said, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You see, when Christ is the Lord of our life, then our lives are transformed by it. We serve Him out of a deep love for Him and out of a love for those around us. And as he says here, listen, you are inexcusable. You're without excuse because you know the truth, but you don't live the truth. You call Him Lord, Lord, but you're not truly living for Christ. When Christ is the Lord of our lives, our lives are different. We serve Him not because I have to, but because I love Him. James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep Himself unspotted from the world. You know what? To love the unlovely, to care for those around you, to live a holy life. This type of religion is not centered on money. It's not centered on judgment. It's not centered on a harsh spirit. It's not even centered on controlling people. But James says this. It's a little different than the world's religion. He says in James chapter 3, verse 13 and 15, he says, Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation. This converse, word conversation is the old English word for lifestyle. He says, So let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, listen, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and de devilish. And so by, by James' testimony here, he states very plainly how this type of spirit is, in, uh, is an antichrist spirit. It's not the, the spirit of Jesus. So if you would find yourself with a harsh spirit, 
I'll very plainly warn you this morning that it is not from God. In John chapter 4, we see just a stunning moment in Christ's life. As, as Christ uh, was, fixing to, uh, was doing some traveling, He told His disciples, listen, we must needs go through Samaria. Now, for us, that doesn't mean much, but for the Jew, they would hear that as uh, almost like profanity. We're going to go through Samaria? Do you know what those people are? They're half-breeds, if you will. And Christ said, listen, I've got a divine appointment with someone at a well. And so Christ, he, he brings His disciples through Samaria, and as He was there, He sat and He visited with a woman, not just any woman, but a woman who was an outcast among outcasts. And it was there that we see the, the real spirit of Jesus Christ, a spirit to not only bring her to faith, but also to help her deal with her sin in a biblical manner. Then there was a Gentile that sought to know the Lord in, in the book of Acts. And, and Peter, being a Jew, knew that he was not supposed to talk to the Gentiles, go to their home or anything of that nature. And, but the Lord, out of a gracious spirit and a, and a love for all men, sent Peter into the home of a Gentile. You see, while the world is quick to take up arms and divide people and destroy the lives of others with a vindictive spirit, Christians are called to live differently. Our lives ought to be an example of Christ's great love as we see what Christ's example is, for there is no respect of persons with God. And he says, listen, may we demonstrate this great love of God within the house of God, but also without. And he says this, listen, if you're a hypocrite, be careful, because the same judgment that you give to others, you too will receive. Let's look at verse number uh, 2 once again. The, this judgment towards the hypocrite. Verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest, uh, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? He says, Listen, don't you realize, don't you recognize that when we truly know God as our Savior, that it changes a life? And so God warns in this passage that there will be a, a judgment toward those that know to do good and do it that not. So the warning for the hypocrite is the same as the judgment uh, that they uh, were given, uh, uh, that they had already been given. It had been turned on their own head. And so let me just remind you that the Bible lays out a very simple principle of sowing and reaping. My wife uh, has worked diligently this year and has uh, applied herself greatly with great efforts and on the rest of us too, I might add, uh, into helping create a nice garden for her family to provide, help provide. I'm grateful for her vision, her desire to do this. Uh, if it was um, uh, probably me, I probably wouldn't have put in the effort she has, but there's been a great harvest as a result. You see, but she realizes, just like every other farmer, that there's a, saw, a law of sowing and reaping. We took some squash seeds, we put them in the ground, and guess what we have today? Squash plants. And in the foyer, there was some out there, I think, that were brought from my garden. And then there was some zucchini. We planted zucchini, and guess what we got when we planted those seeds? Zucchini. Isn't that amazing how that works? Listen, but when it comes to reality in life, here's what happens oftentimes. We think, well, listen, uh, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, but uh, the rest of the time I'm going to live totally different and contrary to what God's Word says, and I expect God to bless me in all things there. Isn't that the contrary thought of sowing and reaping? Listen, what we do is we sow Monday through, through Saturday, uh, and we pray to God on Sunday that we don't reap what we sowed. 
And the hypocrite says this, listen, I, I don't have to worry about anything because I am pious. I'm holier than thou. Listen, my sin's not as bad as anybody else's sin, and so I, I'm, I'm protected by God. But listen, be not deceived. Galatians 6, 7 says, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And so this is the same warning in Matthew 7. You know, years ago it used to be that John 3, 16 was the most quoted verse in all of the Bible, but anymore they say that the most quoted verse is Matthew 7 1. Matthew 7 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. And oftentimes this verse is thrown at Christians and said, Listen, you're not allowed to judge me for my sin, but this is not what Christ is teaching here. He's saying, Listen, guard against a judgmental spirit against those around you. Because with that same judgment, that's what Paul was writing here, with that same judgment you're going to also receive. And so this passage, what we see here is God is warning us to say, listen, uh, if you are judgmental, if you're harsh, if you're critical with others, you're going to receive that as well. See, the problem with the hypocrite is that he feels other men's sins are worse than his own. He compares himself with the drunkard or the harlot or the hoodlum and he prizes himself uh, on church membership and he prizes himself on his morality and even respectability in the community. But the comparison is flattering to himself. But listen, it's not to God. The problem is, is that the ultimate person that is the standard is Jesus Christ. You see, when we compare ourselves to Him, we come back to Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The most holy, most wonderful person in this room falls far short of God. All have come short. All are equally guilty. And as Paul is writing this in, in Romans, the Lord is just inspiring him to say, listen, it doesn't matter if you reject God. It doesn't matter if you're living a duplicitous life. It doesn't matter who you are. We must all recognize that we are all sinners. We are all guilty. And this is why God sent Christ into the world. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says this, Of whom I am chief. We would do well to take upon the Apostle Paul's attitude that I am not great, but instead I'm the chiefest of sinners. Because if we're honest, we like to categorize sin. You ever notice that? Oh, well, that sin's way worse than my sin. Listen, I just told a little white lie, but you should have seen what they did last night out on downtown. Listen, we like to categorize things, but sin is still sin. It still separates us from God, and it still brings with it the damnation in the heart. And so we are still in all in desperate need of a Savior. And that is why Christ came to this earth. In Romans 5.8, he says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, He died for you, He died for me, and offers salvation to all that will call upon Him. It doesn't matter uh, where you stand today. If you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart, you are in dire need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ is the only Savior that will ever save you from your sins today. Listen, we don't come, we don't come to church trying to be pious or, or trying to be perfect or anything like that. What we realize is that we are all sinners saved by grace. And we come with our feeble offerings of our lives and say, Lord, whatever you can use, God, I'm willing to just be used of you. And may that be a heartbeat today. As a church in this community who are sending missionaries, who are supporting others, and that are trying to walk by the Lord. And, and let me just say that God wants us to all just say, Lord, here's my life, whatever you want. You know, today, I can't pretend to know every heart and every individual, but God does. And you may be trying to put on airs for a long time, 
And God says, pointing at your heart and says, listen, this message is for you. It's time to put away the hypocrisy. It's time to be genuine with Christ today. Would you bow your head? Instrumentalists are come. We're going to sing a song of invitation. But here's the reality today. Many in church live this duplicitous life. Maybe you've never even truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he says, listen, today is the day of salvation. This church will not judge you. This church will rejoice with you when you come to get things right with the Lord. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?